what is wealth and why don't Black people have it? One of the facets of the Black experience I've been most interested in exploring is our wealth disparity. I grew up incredibly poor. And as I earned my degrees, built a career, and started to have exposure to people of different backgrounds and colors, one of the most startling realizations for me was really how different the conversations are amongst people of color and white people when it comes to money. Though there were always exceptions, my black friends typically struggled. Our parents didn't own homes. They didn't talk about family vacations as they grew up. And if you take one look at the comment section with any media posts around racism, you will see a host of negative and completely untrue stereotypes that the average American has absorbed about why that gap exists for black people. But I'm not interested in entertaining stereotypes. Today, I talk with my friend Courtney, and we discuss the true root of the wealth gap in America. Thank you again for talking with me about this. You have such a great personal experience. And then again, all of the wealth of information regarding wealth and how Black people are impacted. So thank you for being here. Appreciate it. When you and I were talking about this and I, you know, follow you on social media and you were very, very passionate about the Black experience and Black Lives Matter, thinking about the Black experience and thinking about Mm -hmm. wealth. Why you're passionate about this in particular? Well, from a young age, and I think many people can relate to, not even just people of color, but many people in general can relate to seeing that rich friend or watching TV and seeing how people lived in other states and cities and in how you live. You would notice more white people than anything living well, doing well. I mean, within the public, within everything we watched, I mean, the only black people who truly were thriving financially that I knew of growing up was Bill Cosby, (laughs) you know, the Cosby show. And truly, it it just, you know, and and looking at how I grew up as well, I think I shared this with you. Mom was poor, drug addict, moved from place to place. So there was a lot of instability there. When When I got older and things, my mom finally figured it out in some regard, and things got a little stable, I saw the power firsthand of what money can do and and financial stability can do, especially for people of color. And I saw some of the changes that happened in my own personal life once my mom and stepdad were able to financially get things in order. And then with that, um, you know, and the things I've learned from them, I took that and tried to incorporate more of uh, of that, and, and I reached out to more people to understand more of money and, and finances and how the power of home ownership can impact uh, my own family, you know, and, and so I followed in those steps, and then they really did change things greatly. It was just incredible to hear your story. There was a space of homelessness. There was definitely a space of moving from place to place, but then getting to a place of being able to buy your first home. And then not only buying your first home, but influencing your family members to buy their first home. And eventually your mom, who has such an incredible story of being able to grow and was mm-hmm. able to buy her first home with your stepdad. The biggest issue, and I noticed this with my parents primarily, because you don't really think about it when you talk to friends. Uh, and, and, and I was very young when I bought my first home. I was 21 years of age when I bought my first home. And 
talking to most young people, all they want to do is party. So you don't really see this much with them, but I've noticed that when trying to convince my parents that they can do it and, and trying to help them, they were afraid. They were definitely afraid for some reason. They were talking themselves out of home ownership because in their mind, it was only something people who, who are rich can do or people who are white can do. Mm-hmm. And so they literally would argue and fight tooth and nail. No, we're just going to rent it. We, you know, we've rented this whole time. I don't, we just don't have, we can't, we don't have the credit. I mean, we don't have the money and you know, they just, they didn't even, and what's funny is when I finally got them to relax and, and me and my sister, actually, I don't want, I don't want to take full credit for helping them because my sister played a vital part as well. But when it boiled down to it, they were afraid they didn't know anything. They didn't know the steps they needed to take. And I told them, listen, if I can buy my first house, no 21 second house, six years after that, if I can do this, I'm not rich. I said, you know me. I said, I'm not a millionaire. So if I can do this, let me show you. So, me and my sister sat them down and we mapped out a plan. But that's the biggest thing that I've noticed that prohibits a lot of people. And, and, and as I got older and talked to more and more people, I would even talk to strangers. And, and I'm always on my hustle. So just so a side note, I drove for Uber and Lyft for a while to earn extra income. And while I was doing that, I would chat with people. And again, I would always talk to people about trying to uplift them. And I kid you not, I will often talk to people about homeownership about just, um, you know, investing, but everyone I talked to, and, and especially the people of color that I've had in my vehicle, not one of them knew how to buy a home. They didn't know the first steps to take. They all instantly just assumed it's something they couldn't do. You know, I grew up very similar to you, incredibly poor. And so, you know, we were, we were basically evicted out of every apartment I know that, that, we ever, <laughs> that we ever, we ever lived in, in San Diego. And we moved constantly. There was one space in time where um, we lived in a shelter for a brief period of time. I remember staying with friends until that was no longer an option. And so I grew up very poor. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting now to be able to move throughout my career and even having the opportunity to purchase my first home. Because what's interesting about that is that there's a sense of when I'm interacting in spaces where let's say I'm the one person of color or I'm the one black person and I'm surrounded Mm -hmm. in kind of a white space where buying a home is nothing, right? Yes. And, and sometimes we're having conversations around people having second homes or cabins mm-hmm. by a lake and, and many of their family members own homes. But when I'm in a space where I'm with black people and when I'm amongst family or when I'm amongst people that I grew up with, I'm one of the few that owns my home. I'm one of the few that has been able to be successful in my career and be able to make a certain amount of money. And I can't help but to notice those differences because when I'm in those two circles, they're completely different conversations about money. The knowledge of homeownership or the knowledge of acquiring wealth is something that is not taught in school unless they're probably fortunate to go to some private schools where that's part of the curriculum. But the average person doesn't learn these things from school. And that's why most black people don't have a clue how to acquire it and get to that level. It's stuff that is taught because their parents have passed it down to their children from experience. Yeah, absolutely. But also with a little bit of money to help out. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> of course. Yes. Yes. That's the other spaces that even for yes. the people that, that know how to do it or are fortunate enough to have 
somebody in their lives that done that have done it it's a space of now you've got to come up even if it's talking about the you know whatever the 3.5% that you can use as a down payment if you're getting an FHA loan even that for black people and people of color can be difficult depending on the house and depending on whatever stores of savings that they have. And so that I think a lot of times is what maybe other, what people take for granted um, when you're thinking about black people is it might not sound $6,000 might not sound like a lot of money, but were you able to go to your parents and borrow the money for your first house when you were 21? (laughs) Well, no. No. So, and I think that a lot of people, that is just a common space, right? And and in fact, I had to help my parents financially uh, to relocate to Arizona from California when I was in college, just utilizing money I've saved and, and, you know, I was on a full ride scholarship. So I still qualify for grants and things of that nature. And when I received the money, instead of you know, um, using the grants. If I didn't meet the funds, I would help my parents out there. So yes, it's quite the opposite. But that's exactly it too, because from some of the research, that's also a part of the story is that not only do, not only do black people not have the support of parents with any sense of wealth to be able Mm -hmm. to pass down that, to purchase a house and make investments, we are also having to help our families with their financial issues. Even with the people who can often say, I don't get any help from my parents or my family. What Mm -hmm. you are taking for granted is that even if they are just giving you a clean slate and you don't have to support them and they are holding true and independent to themselves and all you have to do is support yourself, that is much different than the existence for people of color and black people. We are often having to help other family members just survive. And again, you hit, you hit this earlier. It's, it's one thing we know that people who are not black deal with these exact same issues. However, this is predominantly an issue that people of color, that black people are dealing with in this country and so forth. But it is primarily an issue that we face. And I really think with what you're doing with this podcast, it hopefully will open up people's mind to understand we can break the cycle because I was able to do it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Financially, I still made a lot of issues throughout life, just lack of knowledge and learning as you go. Again, I was a very young man trying to build wealth and stability for my family. But I think, you know, with what we're sharing today, I think this knowledge will really help people, help people understand that it is actually not as difficult as it may seem. Now, some states are easier than others, but overall, it's truly just a lack of knowledge that has been holding us back. Um, obviously, discrimination and systematic oppression is something we still have to battle with. But even with that being something we have to deal with every single day, even with that there, the biggest issue has been lack of awareness uh, of our people. I'm hoping that these kind of conversations not only open up the minds of white people to understanding some of the struggle um, for Black people, but also helping our people mm-hmm. understand the background because I think understanding the history yes. to some extent can inspire you 
to fight against the odds, right? I know when I was reading this, just truly, I was like, oh my God, I am I'm going to have some level of wealth <laughs> by the end of all this. When I leave this earth, I am leaving something to my children. It really yes. inspired me that much. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about buying flashy things, but it was truly about wanting to beat the odds, wanting yes. to be able to fight this generational trauma and wanting to be something that my ancestors are proud of because yes. they fought very, very hard for us to be able to get to a place where we can beat this. And so I was like, against all odds, you know, I'm leaving my children something. I may not be a billionaire, but I want them to be able to have money for college. I want them to be able to have money to buy their first home. I want yes. them to be able to have good, healthy financial habits so that, that we are doing something different with the gifts that we've been given. In addition to financial management and understanding how to acquire wealth, we need to know how to hold on to it. Yeah. And, and as a culture, I'm noticing, and again, you know, for those listening who have a little more discipline and control of their finances, obviously this isn't applied to you. But unfortunately, as a whole, when I talk to people of color and, 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 and honestly, most people who are just not as financially sound, they don't know how to manage money. And again, there are people who have money that aren't able to manage it as well. There's always exceptions to every rule. But in general, I'm noticing People are quick to spend their last on some shoes, on a purse, mm -hmm. on, you know, on, on rims for the vehicle. And, and that's something that we need to understand as well is don't spend every penny you have. Learn to invest, even if it's minimal in time, it builds. And, you mm -hmm. know, I was, I was having a talk with my youngest daughter just yesterday regarding uh, interest and how it works. You know, I created a, an account for her. Um, a while back and I showed her, you know, I started with this. This is where it's at now. And by the time you're 18, this is what it'll be. But if you leave it alone and wait till you're 24, this is where it'll be. And I showed her the significance of the minimum monthly payments I'm putting into this account and how it's grown over time. And so I'm helping her understand how interest works and how savings works. Because again, these are things you have to teach your children. Otherwise, if you don't show them the value of money, they will not respect it as well. We, it, you know, it's a cycle that I'm desperately trying to break as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great point. Now, what's interesting, and I know we'll get into some of the articles, but I yes. can't emphasize enough that people need to understand that the reason why we have the wealth gap is not because black people don't know how to spend their money. There's so much that goes into the wealth gap and it is yes. just, it's not that black people are actually more irresponsible with money than other groups. But to your point, in order for us to beat this, we have to, we have to fight harder. <laughs> that's yes. what, that's what really pulls you out of this is it's not necessarily, that's not the reason why we have the wealth gap. But exactly. because we have the wealth gap, that means that we do have to shift our priorities as a people to be able to get out of it. Because ultimately, we're doing a lot of work to fight racism. But the truth be told, that work is ongoing. That work, work is deep-rooted. And it is going to take effort on our part as a community to make changes within our community that are not fair, 
<laughs> it is not fair. We, it, we should not be in this circumstance. We should not have to work harder than other people. But if we really truly want this to change for our present families and for our future children, then we ultimately have to be better with our money. It's just the honest answer. It is the honest answer. So let's dig in. I'm so glad that you, first of all, picked this as a topic to have a conversation with me and then also sent me the videos because you were so knowledgeable around this, but it really opened my eyes to so much. So we read a couple of different articles. There was a research paper that actually was dated a bit back, but it was like early research um, mm -hmm. that went from the 80s all the way through to like 2007 and talked through the black and white wealth gap. So that was an article called Explaining the Causes of the Black-White Wealth Gap in the United States by uh, Amadou Jackie Kaba. And then we also read 10 Myths About the Racial Wealth Gap by Dion Rabion. And then we also, you sent me the video of Richard Rothstein in The Color of Law. I think in the, yes. there was also a, a trending report from 2017. The Fair Housing Trends Report, yes. So there was just, I mean, the research this week was endless and was so, so impactful. But tell me what were some of your takeaways, because you were already um, really knowledgeable around this, but what were some of your takeaways and some of the main points that you learned from the reading and the gap that exists and how we arrived here? Well, the biggest thing I took away, again, is the foundation, the, the beginning. That it's something that one would think is just common sense. However, I'm finding that so many people, black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter, but so many people do not understand the foundations of this country and how wealth was, was basically gained and distributed. So one thing I, I really loved is with, and it was addressed by both the articles I shared with you, um, the, the video by Richard Rothstein, as well as the, the Fair Housing Report from 2017, but they both cover the foundations, which is everyone has to understand when slavery was abolished and ultimately people fought for their freedoms and made way to that to the promised land at that time for them just because they were free they still weren't free and so and so people need to understand that you know the minute slaves were freed we weren't just instantly given wealth and given jobs and given land and then they need to also understand which is really highlighted in a very detailed in the report 2017, they address literally every aspect of what went on in this country and how wealth was given to individuals, white individuals, in order to expand America. So people who were looking to move westward, they were given acres upon acres of land and wealth to help build farms, build housing, build businesses. I think ultimately by the 1900s, over two 170 million acres of land was given to predominantly all white individuals in order to establish wealth. And basically none of that, and I say mostly white because there were some natives who were given land, obviously, but as far as African-Americans are concerned, very fractional increment of land was given to slaves who were freed. And even that small portion that was given was taken away. That is the foundation. And so people have to understand that we started with nothing and had to come to the level we are today, which still isn't enough. One of the cool things about Black Study Hall 
that is really starting to evolve is this last week, what me and my boyfriend watched was 13th on Netflix. Have you watched that, Courtney? I heard of it. I have not had a chance. I keep saying I will. (laughs) You'll have to watch it. But basically that goes into right after slavery being abolished and talking about the 13th Amendment, which makes slavery illegal, except if you are a criminal. And then from there, right after that, convict leasing became a thing. And then after that, there was the Jim Crow era. So it wasn't even just, today we're talking about wealth and we're talking about the distribution of wealth, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't even just like giving land to white people, not giving it to black people, giving it to a small amount of black people and then taking away. It was also then arresting and criminalizing black people right after that. So it's coming together. It was not just about like this wealth and not having it. Then you're, you're arresting people for minimal crimes with the purpose and intent of then basically getting that cheap labor again. So now the story is starting to come together. When we talk about these various areas of how black people have been discriminated against over time, it has been from many, many angles. They freed us, but then they immediately said, if you don't have a job, then you will be arrested because you have to work. So then black people who were not fortunate enough to have a job, they were arrested and put back into slavery. If they were fortunate to find a job, a large majority of them were only working for pennies to the dollar, basically free, and they were back working on um, plantations that they just were free from. And so this is the beginning of our, of our current present. Yeah, I know what you're saying, too, in terms of it sounding impressive. It, to me, sometimes it's just like, I think there's this question in my head, and I know that probably white people have this question sometimes, too, right? Everybody does, which, come on, was it really this sophisticated, complex, strategic oh, yes. Was this really true strategy against black people? Well, and the honest answer is, Yes, it absolutely was. It was an economic system that absolutely had strategy and was sophisticated to make sure that there were poor people that could be exploited for money. Goes from being freed and still forced into slave labor based on the various ways they did it. You have 270 million acres of land that's been given for people to develop these properties, develop these businesses, not given to black people. So then now you look at the industrial boom in the 40s and, and you have all these people work and, and this is where really a lot of the, the housing discrimination really took off. They had all of these people building all of these factories in the, in the Northeast and developing all this wealth. And it was black and white people alike. But once, once all of that industrial boom was started to subside and come to an end, they left all these black people in these half-built project homes because they were supposed to be temporary housing because they had expectations of all the blacks to leave and head back to the South once all of it was over. And so they leave them with that. But what they did before the industrial boom even ended is they started developing thousands of, I think it was over 17,000 homes that they built in um, surrounding suburbs. And our government created laws, the uh, FHA created laws to where they, if you were going to build these homes and we're going we're gonna to live in this money, that you cannot sell these homes to people of color, to black people. And it was also written in the deeds of the homeowners once they bought the homes that they couldn't resell to blacks or even rent to blacks. So again, this was another way that the government has systematically continued to create this, this divide. 
Well, and I mean, and this is what people need to understand about this is that there was an invitation come out to these suburbs, buy these homes. These homes probably sold for about $9,000 at the time, which even considering inflation was a reasonable price. People, regular people were buying homes and black people could have bought homes too. It was not just white people that could have bought those homes, but they said, no, you cannot buy those homes. But the key thing that people need to walk away with, because again, I think there's this tendency to say, oh, that happened such a long time ago, but this is the deal. Those Mm -hmm. houses remained in those families and they got 200 to $500,000 in equity. Yes. Right. Which then people use to cover their kids going to college to be able to give to their children and bequeath to the children when they pass away. That if they have a medical emergency, they can pay for it. If there's any kind of lost job or economic downturn, those families had a safety net in that equity. So that was not a long time ago, folks. That was like our grandparent. That is a huge area of disparity. And between 1984 and 2007, which still had our wealth gap increase even since then, but there was a fourfold increase between 1984 and 2007. And not only was that regarding the housing, but that was also public policy tax cuts on investment income and inheritance inheritances, which only benefit really wealthy families and then redistribute that income. And then of course, tax deductions on mortgage, home mortgages and retirement accounts and college savings. Again, it's wealthy people. So it is just all of these things come together. And and when you think about it, sometimes to be honest with you, Courtney, we're kind of doing amazing considering the circumstances. (laughs) When I think about all that and I'm like, dang, I bought a home, man, black people for having the level of assault on our ability to survive. Ultimately, if you have bought a house, if you have built a career, that's a big deal. And that's why Richard Rothstein, you know, he called it a white noose. They literally, the government, our own country, with the redlining that they've created, built a white noose around black communities. And that's why we have such despair in places like Southside Chicago, Little Rock, Arkansas, and a number of other you know, low income housing areas for predominantly black people. And you're right for anyone to make it financially in today, especially people of color today, it, it, you have to tip their hat. And that's why more people like that need to, to figure it out and get together and help share what they've done with others because we have to create the change. And there's only so much the government's going to do for us. So this platform that you've created I really am glad to take a part of it because I I do think with educating everyone and giving them an understanding that there are some basic steps you can take, which I'll I'll, I'll point out a few in a little bit, but take these basic steps and it's not even rocket science, but they're just very minimal steps and you can change the course of your entire family's future for years to come. One article that we chose um, that I didn't want to choose, I'm just going to be honest, because 
it was a little bit depressing to me. So mm-hmm. let me tell you why. So it was the 10 myths about racial wealth gap by Dion Rabion. And, and basically it just goes through and it talks about the fact that everybody kind of throws up these arguments, right? Because if yes. we're being honest, I imagine that it's very difficult for people to believe that they have wealth as a result of their privilege. I imagine that it's very difficult probably for white people to consider giving up their wealth <laughs> for other people. I imagine that would be difficult. But what you hear a lot of times when when you argue about the wealth gap is various reasons why black people don't have wealth, right? And so um, basically what this article does is it gives all the way education, personal responsibility, home ownership. It throws up every argument about why black people don't have wealth. And it basically tells you that ultimately it's not about any one of these things. Like you can't, it's, there's not only one way to solve this problem. A couple of my favorite pieces from this article mm-hmm. is just that I think that there's this, what I hear a lot or at least see on social media that makes my stomach just churn is the fact that basically it talks about how black people don't have wealth because we don't work as hard, <laughs> right? And, and that just is maddening and so frustrating. But one of the things that this article goes into is that's just not the case. Number one, when it comes to increased savings, one thing that you should know is that when you actually control for income, black families actually do have a tendency to save more. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that people need to know is it's not just about black people being irresponsible and not saving money because actually black families do have a tendency to save more money comparatively. But generally one of the challenges is that black families usually invest in lower risk assets that have less returns. Um, But even if you, even if you mirror that, the research says that it only closes the wealth gap by four percentage points in terms of wealth and working First of all, we haven't even broached the subject in Black Study Hall of talking about the challenges when it comes to work discrimination and job discrimination. But ultimately, earnings and income, getting a job and actually working a job are not even key determinants of wealth. So that's not how people acquire. It's not your nine to five with mm-hmm. how people truly acquire wealth when we're talking about oh, not wealth at all. in terms of the family. Even one of them was financial literacy. And they found that according to the research, it's really truly just living poor and meager economic circumstances, not poor decision making that mm-hmm. is contributing to black people maybe using some of the payday loans or predatory financial services. Well, in regards to that, it's just basically simple geography. You have a community where there are no jobs that pay beyond minimum wage. You have people who can't afford a vehicle, so they have to take buses to go everywhere or subway trains, depending on where they live. Mm-hmm. And some people uh, are, aren't in good health conditions to do those methods of transportation to try to find employment or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's a geographical issue in most of those cases. If you don't make enough you, and you have all these bills, rent keeps raising, medical bills keep raising, you have children to support and and then, like you said, there's so many different topics and so many different factors involved, but you have a, a father who has been targeted by police unfairly, probably incarcerated unfairly with trumped up charges. And, and, and just like with Chicago, where a police officer was just arrested because it was just, they investigated him for over a year and they found that he has had dozens of cases where he has planted drugs, false reports, and had 
a number of black people incarcerated. So when we have these factors holding us back, it's a financial domino of negativity. That yeah, we have to deal with. that's so true. And I feel like the reason why I said this article is kind of depressing is because for me, it was like, okay, so then what is the answer? Obviously, these things help. Like if you save more and if you are to push and try to drive towards an income where you are making more money and you are more financially literate and you do increase your education, all of these things help. We see that in the literature. I think what this article was saying is it doesn't account for the entire wealth gap, but like, what's the answer? How do we get to a place where black people mm-hmm. are are making a difference and so, are generating wealth. If we wait for the government to step up and do the right thing with reparations, which I don't care what people say, it is deserved. Especially we, after reading this, to be honest, I didn't have a full position on it, but after no. reading this article, I was like, the only answer is reparations. And listen, that's listen, terrifying listen. to people. This is what I tell people who don't understand the power of reparations and why we need it. Um, and then I'll get into how I personally think we can take some great steps that are, in my opinion, very, very easy to, to get the ball rolling. But in regards to reparations, again, you have a, a race of people who truly built the wealth of this country for free. You have a race of people who not only built the wealth of this country for free, but have continued to contribute to this country with in ways of technology and medicine with little or no reward. And then on top of that, what did you do? You discriminated against us for jobs, discriminated against us for housing. You find the most minuscule reasons to incarcerate our people and lock them up. I just posted an article where a judge gave a white gentleman, there were a black gentleman and a white gentleman that coincidentally were tried for the exact same case, the exact same charges, exact same circumstances. It was a first time offense. It was armed burglary. The white dude was given two years in jail. The black dude was given 26 years in prison by the, by the same judge. So when we're dealing with these kind of, you know, situations in this country, yes, reparations are needed. So, but once reparations are given or, or even if a person just wins the lottery or however they happen to come into money, the number one thing is financial literacy. We do need to understand money better. And to be honest with you, that's something that I'm still getting better at. Yeah. But we do but we do need to understand financial literacy. You cannot spend every penny you get. My wife is amazing with that. I'm blessed to have her. She controls me. There are, I mean, just to be honest, because there are times that I want to spend money on some things and she, 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 she cracks the whip like, come on, baby, we don't need that. So, so but financial literacy is, is number one. And, and, and here's some simple things that I really want to share. The easiest thing that a person can do for their family, and this is primarily geared to people who have, and honestly, you don't even have to have kids. Let's say you have nieces and nephews or younger siblings, but get life insurance. Create a will and and you can list who you want your dependents to be on your life insurance, but get life insurance. God forbid we want anything to happen to any of us. But if in case and that time does come that you pass, even if it's old age, but when that time comes that you pass, you can leave a significant amount of wealth to people in your family. Now, second thing, get a will. Too many people don't, don't write a will. And to be honest with you, a will doesn't have to be as elaborate as getting in front of a lawyer, getting it notarized and all of those things. You can literally make a video of you speaking. Say the date. Say you're in your sound body and mind. Make a video of what you have as assets and what you want to distribute to whom. 
and and share that video save it give it to your loved ones and as things change you can update it and redo it but you need to have accountability in the will and the reason why is because even with life insurance or let's say you are fortunate enough to own a home and you die if you don't have a will to state where these assets are going the state will that you live in that you die in the state will control your assets and distribute them amongst your family for you at a cost and you're going to lose, and depending on the state, that cost varies, but you could potentially lose up to 20 or 30% of your assets um, going to the state, all because you chose not to write a will. I'm so inspired right now. I actually was an adult and got an insurance policy last year. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I have not done yet is I've had a conversation with a lawyer about a trust for my children, but I have not actually done the will. So I'm so inspired to do that. And I think about that very often because it's kind of expensive. I'm like, oh. Well, so here's, 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 and here's, here's what I did for my kids. So I, um, I have a grandson as well. Um, my oldest, who's 24, she has a little boy. And uh, But long story short, so I love Acorns. Acorns investment, I started an account for them. I started with just like 150 bucks each. But every time I get paid, every time I have a little extra money, I throw money in there. I put money in my own savings first, but I put money in my kids. And over time, it builds. And it also gives you an estimate, an estimate of how much money will be invested in it for them when they turn 18 and they will have control of that account once they turn 18. And so I'm contributing. This is how you start. And with my grandson, um, I'm, you know, I'm estimated that by the time he's 18, he's going to have 50 grand minimum minimum right now with just me putting a hundred bucks a month away. Acorns investment there. They have an app. They're they, they have a major firm that backs them. I've been using acorn for years. These are some simple things that one can do because as you put the money in there for your children over time, you don't even, you don't even notice the money. You don't yeah. even see it. So, uh, so get a will. And in that meantime, you need to educate them on managing their funds. And, and another thing that we can do, and we need to build our children credit We're you know, people, people in the South are used to having their credit destroyed because mom them couldn't afford bills and couldn't afford to do this or do that. And so they screwed up their credit. So in order to get good credit, they now put in this bill or that bill yeah. in, their, in, their, in their children's name. So now what we need to do is build our children credit so for example get a credit card and put your child on it you don't even have to actually give them the credit card and help them establish that credit don't give them access to it if you don't trust them but just put them on it so as you pay those bills and that they have debt that they are uh, paying that they're controlling and it will help build their credit same thing with the vehicle if you want to buy your kid a car don't just buy them a car put them on it and put you on it so you can help establish that credit for them. So those are just little things that we can do to help change our situations. And then third is home ownership. It is scary, but you don't know what you don't know. And what I had to do with my parents is I had me and my sister, again, we sat them down because I was the first person in my family out of uncles, aunts, grandparents, everyone to buy a home. I was the first one. And, and I learned that I can do it because of, of life experiences. And unlike some people who, when, they, when they're forced to move out of a home or an apartment, they just look for the next cheapest apartment they can rent. I got tired of being kicked out of places. I was a young father and we were living in a home that was owned by my ex's parents. Well, when her parents got divorced, the mom won the house and she wanted to move in, so she kicked us out. And so we then moved into a condo, which was owned by some family friends, and then they ultimately wanted to give that condo to their daughter. So then again, they kicked us out. So I'm like, you know what? I am sick and tired of being <laughs> kicked out of places. What do we need to do to buy? And so I started asking people, the people who owned the condo we lived in, I said, hey, 
what does it take to buy? And I asked, and, and, and the dad sat me down, talked to me about it, gave me some pointers, gave me some places to look at first, and then I ran with it. And the first thing he said was, see what your credit is and see what your score is so you know that offhand, and then get with a uh, realtor because a realtor will then connect you with people who will lend you the money, a mortgage broker. They'll also tell you, and the mortgage broker will tell you, okay, your credit looks great, boom, this will you qualify for great or they'll tell you you need to clean this 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 and yeah. this off your credit so the step was just ask someone and you will be guided so my advice would be go to a mortgage broker tell them you want to buy a house you know go to a bank whoever's going to be the lender but say you want to buy a house and at that point they will guide you to the right people to actually help you in that endeavor yeah you know? and it's free it is all free you don't pay a penny to get that help and so that would be my advice to change my people, uh, to change the courses of their lives. If they have the strength and the courage to just do those basic things, you can change the direction of for course. the rest of your life. Yeah, and your children's. And I think, I think the big message for Black people, and I understand the fear, and I understand that sometimes some of these things feel like they are out of reach. But I, what I would say to our people is to not be afraid to dream bigger. Take baby steps, have the conversation, right? You're not doing exactly. anything but having a conversation with a broker. You're not doing anything but having a conversation about a life insurance policy. But the more conversations and the more educated we get on these things and the more we allow ourselves to dream about well, we'll start and to make a difference. I think, like you said, if that fear, if you can overcome that fear and uh, someone once said the acronym to me, false expectations appearing to be real. Mm-hmm. And that's what fear is. You, you're, yep. you usually fear the unknown. You're afraid of what may happen, but it hasn't happened. And when it comes to the betterment of your livelihood, you should be more afraid to stay where you are than to change your circumstances. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I think the one thing that connects us, to be honest with you, is um you know, I was talking to a girlfriend about for her, she was she's biracial and she lives in a very white space. And for her, that was her safety space. She just always felt more comfortable around white people and never was super invested in the cause or understanding more about the black experience. But she adopted her son and he is a dark skinned little chocolate baby and something changed for her. And I think for a lot of us, something changes when we become a parent. Something changes for us when we're not necessarily considered concerned about our wealth, but when we think exactly. about our kids and we th- when we think about the ability to pass something different onto them, for a lot of us, that's the light bulb that goes off and makes us exactly. want to change behavior because we don't even necessarily care about how it ends up for, for us, but for them, we want something different. And so exactly. this article going into all the myths the wealth gap exists because black people were enslaved for many, many years, 400 years of discrimination and policies that have perpetuated stereotypes and made it difficult for black people to be successful. That's why the wealth gap exists. However, through many things like education, home ownership, increased savings, and by vigilance, of our community to be different for ourselves and then by support of allies and advocates and white people who 
acknowledge the privilege and acknowledge what has happened to Black people and, and truly support and want to make a difference, we can, we can make this better and we can make this different. For anyone listening to this who, who are not Black, or even if you are Black but don't fully understand the Black experience, there's some key takeaways from this as far as what's going on in America and why people of color continue to face so much struggle trying to gain financial stability and wealth is number one is a lot of the stuff we talked about are still issues today that are happening. The laws of Jim Crow and redlining, they're still happening. Even though they outlawed Jim Crow laws, it still happens. Uh, was it Washington Mutual was sued just about maybe 10 years ago. They were sued for discriminatory practices uh, with lending. They were charging people of color higher interest rates on loans. So understand that this battle is ongoing, that all is not fair and equal in the world. And it's going to take awareness and change on all accounts in order to get this to end. Amen. What do we do to fix this? As reparations still continues to be a controversial conversation in this country, what are the other options on the table? Is it fair that Black people just have to defy the odds, work harder and smarter for an undetermined period of time just to catch up with white counterparts? How many generations of Black families should continue to experience the struggle of poverty while we debate solutions? And if it meant financial sacrifice on your family's behalf, would you be willing to support the cause? 